Well, welcome to our God on Film, the inaugural Sunday of our kickoff of this message series, where each week we're going to take a very current film and look for what the overlap is between the themes in that movie and themes in God's Word. We're going to do that today. So we're using it as a jumping off point. Just, just a word of, of note in case you're wondering. We're not endorsing any of the films, but here's our thinking. Movies tell the story of our culture. They carry so much of our values. Art imitates life, and art sometimes directs life. And we think that since so many of our friends and neighbors, so many of us, are regularly engaging these stories on film, then maybe we could find some redemptive potential in them. Maybe we could look at the stories and the conversations that are happening in culture at large and ask a very simple question. wonder what God has to say about that kind of stuff. And so not so much to criticize, more to extract out important life principles that completely line up and ultimately submit to God's word and what God tells us about himself. That's our, our whole point today, all right? So uh, I don't know if you've seen this film. Anybody in the room seen X-Men, Days of Future Past already? I did. Took my boys. They loved it. They especially liked the, the lady in the blue suit. I don't know what that's about. They're getting older, I guess. Um, but it, it's an interesting film. So, so listen, I know, ladies, listen. I know this is kind of a guy film, so next week I'm doing Maleficent, and, uh, and may- maybe you can like that. So if you haven't seen that film, you want to go check it out, that'd be fine, which is Sleeping Beauty Retold, okay? But, but I, and, and X-Men, he, here's the deal. You have these group of mutants who have an X factor in their life, and it gives them powers. It gives them abilities. Some can fly. So we're dealing in reality here, all right? Um, some can fly. Some can morph into other images. They can pass through walls, you know, collect uh, electricity and disperse it. And, and because of this particular genetic mutation in them, it makes them different. And so these mutants often are in conflict with normal everyday humans, all right? And this conflict sets up the basic conflict in the film. In this particular one, we find the story long near the end of the franchise run. It first began in comic books. And they've come to a war where everything has gone bad and, and nobody's really winning the war. So they decide, and I won't give it away, they decide to go back in time and to change things before the war ever began in hopes of by changing the past, they can change the future. So let me ask you something. If you had a time machine, what would you go back and change in your life? If you had a time machine, what would you go back and change in your life? Now, do not look at your spouse if you're sitting next to them and say something like, <laughs> I, I pick somebody else. Don't do that, all right? That's not what we're doing today. Uh, l- l- let me help you for all the geeks in the room. I found a survey on the Sci-Fi channel uh, about what these uh, geek types would do if they could go back in a time machine. What are the top 10 things they would change, right? Here, here they are. Some of them would refuse to go out on a first date with an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, all right? Number 10. Number 9. Some, some of them said they would prevent war. Number eight, you would expect this from sci-fi channel watchers. They would go dinosaur riding. All right, <laughs> I thought that was fun. Number seven, kind of common to all of us, they'd undo a dumb decision. Some people said they would meet some famous people from the past. That was number six. Number five, they'd become a genius, not by doing anything or, uh, in, you know, original. They'd just go back before the inventors in the past did the inventions, and they would invent those inventions first, all right? Number four, interesting enough, some said they would avoid IRS problems. Number three, they'd go back and they'd meet their parents when they were their age, and they'd see if they did the same things they were forbidden to do. All right, number two, 
Some said that they would bet on sports or invest in stocks, knowing exactly what would happen. And the number one thing is interesting to me. They said that they would tell their mom and dad that they loved them one more time, all right? Now, here, here's, here's the thing. Unfortunately, we can't go back in time. I can't, you can't, we can't undo anything. You know that, I know that. I bet you've dreamed about it, at least thought about it, I've thought about it. Sometimes the moment a word has left my mouth, I've thought, oops, I wish I could put that back in. Sometimes when the full implications of a decision I made a week ago are beginning to bear on me, I think, man, if I could do that over. When I've hurt somebody I've loved deeply, a lot of times the words I use is, if I could go back and do that over again, here's what I would do different. But we all know, everybody in the room knows, you can't go back and undo anything. So it really begs the question, since we can't go back and, uh, and change anything, unlike in films, the reason this film resonates is we can all appreciate the desire to want to go back and change things, but since we can't, what do we do? How do we live without those regrets that all of us have? And how do we minimize? I don't know that we can get through life without any, but how can we minimize the amount the quality, the quantity of the regrets that we carry with us. Do we just pretend that we haven't done anything worthy of feeling regretful for? Do we just demand that the folks around us live with our imperfections to such a degree that they just tolerate, 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 and we never feel that internal or external pull to do anything differently? Is that how we manage this? Interestingly enough, the Bible, God's Word, has a lot to say about living life with God in such a way that regrets are minimized. That even though we can't go back and change the past, what we can do is impact the future. The future that begins literally the moment I end this sentence. We can, from the very points where we are right now, begin impacting the future. To such a degree that when we get to that future moment, we can look back and the regrets are minimized. They're kept at bay. Jesus said, in some regard, using slightly different words, but certainly on the same page of what we're talking about today, that his whole purpose in coming, well, in fact, let's just look at his words. John chapter 10, verse 10. Here's, here they are up on the screen. John 10, 10. Jesus talking, he says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. This is kind of like the personal mission statement of Jesus, if you will. There are a few of these moments in the New Testament where he kind of reveals why he really came. In this particular verse, he puts together two paradoxical and diametrically opposed agendas. All right? One is the agenda of the thief who wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And the other is his purpose. That you could really live life and live it to the full. That you could say that Jesus wants us to have a no regrets life. That at whatever point we want to stop and look back over our history, we look at it. And rather than being consumed with the desire to go back and change the past, we're pretty comfortable satisfied, not content in its negative implications, the kind of contentment that leads us to not want to do anything else, and we're, we're almost lazy about it, but content in the sense that we look at it and go, it's good, I'm happy with it. I, I, I feel that it had purpose and meaning. Now, the Apostle Paul, in writing about living the Christian life, living life with God, he, 
he deals honestly with the challenges that we all face. I mean, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody in this world's perfect. The person sitting next to you is not perfect. In fact, if on exercise, turn to them and just for, for a moment, tell them how imperfect they are. Would you like to do that for just a second? You've been waiting. Maybe you had an argument on the way to church and you want to do it again. I don't know. But the Apostle Paul, he deals honestly with the fact that life can be a challenge. He deals honestly with that. It's one of the reasons I love God's Word. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. Real life is portrayed in its pages. And in the pages also, there's hope. There's real hope. There's the hope that life lived with God can be lived qualitatively differently. So the Apostle Paul was struggling with the very human emotion of trying to understand how to manage the regrets of the past and look forward to the future. And so in his letter to the Philippian church, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, he says these words up on your screen. I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I'm trying to forget the past. I'm putting all my energy on something else. I'm putting all my energy on the future. Now, now we're going to read the rest of this verse, so guys, just leave it up. But let me just chat about this tension for a moment. When you've been hurt or disappointed or you feel stuck, the thing that the Apostle Paul is going to try to encourage us to do with these words is very difficult to do. It's very difficult when you've been hurt you're consumed with personal disappointment or the disappointment in someone else. Or, or you feel stuck in life. It's very difficult to forget the past and to focus on the future. Some of us have spent large amounts of our emotional energy wrestling with the dilemma that this movie, because it's fantasy and fiction, can alter and change. We've wrestled emotionally with, why did that have to happen? What, what can I do about that? Could I go back and change? And we've expended lots of emotional energy wrestling with our recent past or our very past. But the Apostle Paul has tapped into a secret here of living a no-regrets life. And for followers of Jesus, this is really central to the message of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is that our past doesn't have to anchor our soul in the negative way. The past doesn't have to keep us from living a future that God wants with us and for us. So the Apostle Paul, honestly dealing with this, he says, I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past. Not in the sense that you can't learn from it, of course you can't. Not in the sense that the past can't inform the present and the future. Of course it can. But in that sense that it weights you down and immobilizes you and the fear and the regret and the guilt and the shame and the pain cages you in. It's that kind of past that Paul says, I'm working very hard to forget it. Because if I don't, what's going to happen is, is I'm not going to live the life that Jesus said he came to give me. I'm going to live a life that the other agenda defined. My life, the life God wants with me, is going to be stolen from me. The thief wants to kill, steal, destroy. And if I'm going to press into the life God wants for me, I have to put my hand in the hand of the Savior Jesus, the Lord of my life, 
And let him pull me from that place of stuck pain and regret and press into the future that he has for me. Now, just a pastoral word for a second. For some of you, that's all you needed today. That's all you needed. As I was talking, the truth is, you know you've been stuck. So here's what you have my permission to do for the next few moments as I talk about the other stuff. Just quietly, nobody looking around. Do your business with God. Close your eyes. Bow your head. Keep looking at me and fake it. But talk to God about where you are and how you've been stuck and how you want the words of Jesus to breathe life into you. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but God, that's not what I want anymore. I'm not giving in to that. I want the life abundant you have for me. I want to move forward with you, Jesus. Just do your business with God. And when we pray at the end and we sing our song together and some of us, you know, join small groups, you will have begun to break the hold that the enemy has. And maybe this verse, the Apostle Paul's verse, the one about forgetting the past and the rest of it we're going to read now, maybe it will be even more alive for you because you've done the business of dealing with the past. So here's what Paul says. Forgetting the past, I press forward. I look forward to what lies ahead. And then he says, just you hear the effort in these words? I strain to reach. I strain to reach the end of the race. Doesn't come easy. It's effort. It's work. And then when I do, though, I receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. I strain, I press, I push myself into the life that God wants for me. He opens the door, he empowers, he's the one that breathes life, and I fully participate with his agenda, and I push forward. That's how we live in the mission that Jesus said was his whole point for coming, life abundant, life to the full. We press, we cooperate with God. And there's three big ways I want to share with you about how to do that. And before I, before I jump there, let, let me just say this. I think that the biggest reason we have regrets in life as followers of Jesus, as people, is because we ignore God. We ignore Him. I don't think, at least as I look at my life, I was totally ignorant about things. And in my complete and total ignorance, I stepped into a place and now I regret it. Usually, before I did something I regretted, I had that moment. I had that time, that moment of reflection. And maybe, and almost never, did I understand all the implications about what I was, supposed, about what I was getting ready to do or say. But usually, I had some indication. And in that moment, I ignored a prompting to change, to avoid, to keep quiet, to not do. I think that sometimes the biggest reason we live with regrets is because we ignore God. So what I want to do is talk about how to stop ignoring God in an attempt that we can grab hold of what Jesus has for us. A no regrets, life to the full, life abundant life. So let me give you a point one here for us today. How about intentionally, intentionally looking for God? I think one of the best ways to live a no-regret life is to set out intentionally looking for God. The prophet Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah chapter 29. 
when you search for me, talking from God to the people, when you search from me, for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. The God of the Bible is a God who wants to be found. He wants to connect. He sent his son Jesus to connect with real people in the world. He reveals through explicit teaching his character, his nature, his heart, his desire, so that we would know he wants to connect with us. In Jesus' words and parables and the miracles he did in his death on the cross and resurrection, in calling people to himself, he reveals God's heart, a heart to connect. The God of the Bible wants to be found by you. He wants you to know him. Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, taps into this heart and he says, here's the deal with God. Here's what God wants you to know about himself, so here's what he says. When you search for me, you're going to find me. I don't know about you, maybe it's not true for you, but it's certainly been true for me. It's when I've not sought God, when I have ignored God, that I've put myself in a position to make decisions, say words, do actions that have caused me regret. This is just my story. It may not be yours. But I have not followed God fully with my life and then looked back and regretted it. In those moments where I could say I fully attempted to follow God, my regrets are lower. And in the moments where I have ignored or not sought Him and looked for Him, my regrets tend to rise. It's a pattern I've observed not just in my life but in other people's lives. This is why Jesus comes and teaches so clearly. It's an interesting little physiological note as well. You have this thing, I have this thing called a reticular activator. Maybe you've never heard of that, but I bet you've experienced it. Here's what a reticular activator does. We all have one. It's when you say, when you think of an idea, you think about something that that is out there, and, and you fix your mind on it, then your eyes, your reticular activator kicks in your mind, your eyes connect together, and you begin to see the thing that you anticipated. So, so here's how it worked for us. A few, few year, couple months ago, a couple years ago, we were going to go look for a new car. So we started looking at new cars. And uh, I'm a bit of a car guy, and we had an opportunity to buy a car I liked. And so we saw a couple commercials. We went to a car dealership, and there was the car we liked. And I said to my wife, you know what's cool about this car? Almost nobody drives this car. It will be unique. I don't see many of these cars on the road at all. And for the next three weeks, it's the only car I saw on the road. Have you ever done that? Right? The moment you say, um, you know, you, you fix your mind on something, it's called your reticulate. So, so this has been studied in science. It overlaps exactly what I'm talking about. When we fix our mind on God, we tend to find him. So Jesus, in keeping in the same kind of thought, says in Matthew chapter 7, to his followers and to us, keep on asking, keep on asking. And you'll be given what you asked for. Keep on looking, and you're going to find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And the door is open for everyone who knocks. This is the heart of God. He wants you to find Him. So that when we set our minds to look for Him, to seek Him in our life, where we are now, as we think about the future and the words we say in our relationships, in our sense of purpose, when we set our minds... We tend to find him. This is powerful. This is powerful. It's one of the things 
that sets Christianity apart from most of the world's religions. A personal God who wants to have a relationship with you where as you walk your daily life, He is there with you. Now, now here's the truth. He is there. That's a given. The challenge is, is we don't look for Him, and since we don't look for Him, we don't see Him. And today, I want to just challenge you that if you want the life that Jesus said He came to give, the life abundant, you're active looking for Him around you. When I taught juniors in high school, Bible at a private school, one of the things we did is we went through a journaling exercise for about six weeks where they simply kept a running total of the number of times and in the places and the environments in which they saw God. And in the first few days of this exercise, everybody struggled. I haven't seen God anywhere in my life, Mr. Hodges. And so we'd walk through this together. All right, did you have food provided for you today? Did you have to sleep outside or did you have a roof over your head? Do you have people who are investing in your care and well-being? They're called parents. No, I... But over time, little by little, we we chip away at this tendency we all have to just look very myopically and not see the God who is at work around our lives. And it was very interesting after just a few weeks... We get through the normal stuff, the kind of stuff I was able to just kind of rattle off very quickly. And as they were looking, they began to see God in various and very personal places in their life. It's a beautiful thing to watch. He's already there. Let me just ask you, do you see him in your life? And if not, I get it. It's normal. It's human. You're dealing with hurt, regret. I got it. But he's there. Start looking for him. And when you look for him, you're going to find him. Here's another way to live a no regrets life. Actively listen for God's voice. Actively listen for God's voice. The psalmist writes in Psalm 85, 8, he says these words. I listen carefully to what the Lord is saying. For he speaks peace to his people, his faithful ones. I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying. For he speaks peace to his people, his faithful ones. A little interesting thing about listening to people's voice. Whether or not we're able to recognize the voice often has a lot to do with how much time we spend with that person. I I have caller ID on my phone, but some of you, do you remember the days before caller ID. And so, uh, you know, the phone would ring and, and you'd go get it and it had the big cord and it was all tangled. Remember, remember that? And, and you picked that up and you didn't know, it, but because it was your wife, your husband, a close friend, your kids, the moment they said something, you said hello, the mo- you knew instantly who it was. You had spent time with them. You, you, the voice brought that sense of recognition and closeness. I've had friends from the distant past, and they would call, but because we had spent so much time together, instantly I recognized the voice. You and your relationship with God can have that exact same dynamic, not just periodically, but regularly. For when he speaks, you you acknowledge, you recognize the voice. But it requires an active listening. You know what active listening is versus just kind of passive listening, right? Right? You've experienced this with your spouse, with your husband, your wife, when you say something and they go, uh-huh, and you know they weren't listening. 
you know they weren't listening. And active listening, though, is just when there's eye contact and there's a real connection and maybe they're repeating back or they've said something that lets you know fully. The psalmist writes, I listen carefully for the Lord. Let me give you just a couple of ways and maybe you can write this in the white spot on your uh, small groups catalog, just three ways that you can actively listen to God's voice. And, and by doing, I think, lend yourself to less of the regrets in life that all of us would like to avoid. Number one, we can spend time with God daily in prayer and reading the Bible. Just, I'm not talking about hours. I'm talking about the first 15 minutes of your day. The first 15 minutes. So, so for me, it's you know, four or five minutes of just praying about the things that are important to me. I pray for this church. I pray for the, the staff, specifically, that God gets me the privilege of working with. I pray for my wife, my kids. My dad is heavy on my heart these days. A lot of my morning prayer time is spent praying for my father. I just talk to God. And at some point, early in my morning, I open God's word. Usually, it's on my phone. Right there are new versions. Somebody of just a few weeks ago is complaining about how many people have their phones out in church. And I said to them, look, they're all reading God's word. Not one person is on Facebook. And if they are, they're posting encouraging messages for their friends. <laughs> That's just where we are. But just 15 minutes a day, I, I think the morning, because it starts early, but it's not a rule, just 15 minutes a day of just prayer and engaging God, it trains you to hear and listen. I'm telling you, he's always speaking. It's us that have the hearing problem, not him that has a speaking problem. The Lord speaks, and we listen just 15 minutes a day in prayer with him. Number two way to kind of do this is, this is just something I've learned, although it's not just my idea, it's memorizing scripture. So almost every week, let's say two out of every three or one out of every three, I provide a potential memory verse for us. Here's the whole point of that. So that by taking the words of God into our hearts and committing them to memory, to our mind and hearts, then when the same God who spoke those words speaks to our lives, we can hear it. We, we have a filter for understanding whose voice this is. And you know, they're usually a sentence or two at best, but memorizing scripture is a powerful way to train your ear to hear from God. My growth spiritually like, like, in those moments in time when I knew I was growing spiritually and I had a more vital connection with God, almost always it was connected somehow to taking God's word into my life more purposefully. Memorizing scripture is a powerful way to do that. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8 says this. They stumble because they do not listen to God's word or obey it. They stumble because they do not listen to God's word or obey it. We, we stumble. That's another word of saying we begin the regret process because we don't listen to God's word. Now, now some of you, you, know, you, you don't know a lot, and that's okay. The, 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 you're never going to be in a church more friendly for people who don't know a lot about God's word. I mean, we, we, we love that. We, don't think that. we just love it when people are ignorant of God's word because we know something you don't know, that as you engage, your life is going to radically shift. I mean, the, it's going to be cataclysmic change in your life over time. And so we feel like it's our job to give you opportunities, but you're adults. We can't make you do anything. So when you come here, we deal with God's word. We, maybe we start with the movie, but we deal with God's word. But in your own life, you, you're not a slave to only the food we provide you. 
Now, you can join small groups. That's what this whole catalog is about. You can learn. So, like, if, if I were you and I didn't know a lot about God's Word, I would carve out time. I, I say I would, let me tell you, I have carved out time in my busy life to spend time with other people studying God's Word. So, like, group L12, how to read the Bible for all it's worth. Like, an investment of a few weeks of your time will make a dramatic difference over your lifetime. Or on a Friday morning at you know, 6.30 a.m. with a group of men at Bob Evans on Tylersville Road looking at the book of Ephesians. Or jumping into a gospel project. You may not know this about me, but one of the things I'm most passionate about in life, in the life of this church, is getting you to fall in love with God's Word. It changes the trajectory of your life. It's amazing how much more I hear God, have a sense of vital connection with God when I'm regularly in His Word. And when I do it with other people, it's not a static, dry information transmission from the page to my brain. It changes me. It comes alive. So James, the brother of Jesus, he writes these words in James 1.5. He says, if you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. And he'll gladly tell you. He will not resent you asking him. Maybe you heard it this way. If any person lacks wisdom, let him come to God who gives to people, all people, most liberally. Maybe you're sitting next to somebody who needs a little wisdom. You know what they need to do? Spend time in God's word. And while you're pointing your finger at them, just ask yourself, maybe do I need a little bit of that too, all right? And then the, 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 the third way that I would say we can live a no regrets life is I'd encourage you this way. Don't hold back. Live passionately for God. Don't hold any area of life back. So a few weeks ago, I referenced this short passage. Let, let me do it again. Matthew chapter 23, 22, verse 36 through 40. Here's what Jesus says. You must. Now, now listen, when Jesus says you must, it, it's not the overly dictatorial father image or authoritarian image we have in mind going, you better do. Now, we could stress that point, and there's a certain validity, because if Jesus says you must, you're probably going to harm yourself if you ignore him. But, but that's not the image. It's, this is what I want for you. If you fully understood what I want for you, I wouldn't have to beg you to do these things. So Jesus says, here, here's the deal. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. So my advice to you today is if you want to live a no regrets life, if you want to grab hold of what Jesus offers us, life abundant, if you want to avoid the thief who has come to kill, steal, and destroy, don't hold anything back from your relationship with God. Like, like no private parts of your heart that Jesus can't be Lord over. Where you're struggling, actively bringing that to him. God, help me in this very place. Ident doing the hard work of identifying where you need to grow and bringing that to God. Nothing held back. Full commitment. 
We started this church in part so that we could give people in North Cincinnati an incredible opportunity to become fully developing followers of Jesus. And along the way, we've developed an incredible arts and tech team and phenomenal. Our goal was never to put forth compelling shows, irresistible environments to just entertain. Our heart all along was so that people could give full devotion to God. Full devotion. Do you know why that's our heart? Because we really believe Jesus meant what he said, that he came to give life abundant. And we have friends and neighbors. We've interacted with people in this church. Sometimes they're in our family. And we know that they're not living that life that Jesus offers them. And we are compelled to say to them, don't hold back. Run to God. Run to God. We say that regularly when we have a big day around here, but I want you to hear it. If you've been here for 10 years, all 10 years, run to God. Run to Him. Don't hold anything back. Whatever part of your life you're keeping hidden from the Lordship of Jesus, turn it over to Him. Do your best to submit it to Him. Don't miss out on the vision God has for you, life abundant, because you're holding something back. Let him have control of your marriage. Let him have control of your kids. Let him lead you in your thought life. Let him lead your entertainment. Let him lead your leisure and your work and your stuff and your thoughts and your relationships. I have noticed that as I fully give myself in devotion to God, my regrets begin to go down. And the very points where I hold back, my regrets tend to go up. And I can't go back and change the past. But from this point forward, all of us can take a step towards full devotion to Jesus. And in an effort to help people do that, we throw together small groups where people can get together and make friends with people going generally in the same direction, and hopefully you get encouragement there. And we put together opportunities for people to serve and use their gifts and find their purpose, because when you tap into your purpose, that's where the real enjoyment with life with God, I think, begins. And we provide opportunities for people to learn knowledge. Knowledge that isn't dry, dusty information from a page. It's knowledge about God, His heart, His world. And as we engage, it allows us to grow closer to that mission that we have of fully developing followers of Jesus. It breaks my heart to think that it's possible to come to this church and serve and give and generally participate and still not fully press into being a fully developing follower of Jesus. So listen, if you hear like a little passion in my voice, a little urgency, let me just tell you exactly what that is. I want you to experience the life Jesus offered. Abundant. Really living. And I think you do that by looking for Him, by listening to Him, and by not holding any part of your life back from His Lordship. So would you do this? Would you grab out your connect card and let's take a few steps together as a congregation? If you don't yet have a relationship with the Jesus who wants to be known by you, 
Let me give you an opportunity to do that with next step A right there on your connect card. It says, I'm accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the very first time. Here's what we'd ask you to do. Check that box if you feel compelled. And in a moment when I pray, use your words, borrow mine, and look to God and say, God, I'm going to agree with your word here. Your word says that without you, I'm a sinner. And so I want you. Would you cover my sin? Would you become the leader of my life? Would you be, the Bible word is the Lord of my life. If you want to do that, we ask you to check the box, put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of service. Pray, join me in prayer, but basically accept the grace he's offered to cover where you are and come in relationship with you. Or how about next step B, if you want to get baptized. You heard that we're going to have three folks getting baptized here next service. God's doing things around here. He's doing things. And if you haven't yet been baptized since you committed your life to him, go ahead and check the box. Let us answer your questions, get you signed up. Or Next step C is the one that relates to your catalog. What group do you want to join? Remember my challenge from last week if you were here? Don't waste all your free time just doing fun stuff. Do some fun stuff. But if you only have a little bit of time, join a learning group. Dig deeper into God's word. Learn something about the character of God and how it relates to some area of life. And make an investment in your growth this summer. So just write the number of the group right there at Next Step C, L12 or, or whatever it is, all right? How about Next Step D? This is that memorizing. Memorizing Jeremiah 29, 13, and 14. When you search for me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I'll let you find me, says the Lord. Or how about Next Step B? Would you commit to attend as much as possible the rest of the God on Film message series we're going to do some great films. We're going to find God in the middle of it. And maybe, maybe you'll get some information that you can have conversations with your friends who are seeing these films about as well. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, God, I want to thank you that while we can't go back and change the past, you can cover our past. And more than just covering our past, you chart for us a future. Now, God, my prayer for every person in this room is they would know the joy of being in a relationship with you, the kind of relationship where they become fully developing followers. And we're growing in you. We're learning. We're listening. We're looking. And we're not holding anything back. God, I pray for each person in this room who's accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior right now. They're declaring, God, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. Wash my sins. Cover them by your blood. I accept what you've done in the person of Jesus and his death and resurrection. I want him to be the leader of my life. God, I pray for this church that not one person in this room today would waste the opportunity you give us to live a no regrets life, to live a life that you have said you came to give, a life abundant. God, help us to not hold a single part of our life back from you. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.